welcome. You are listening to the podcast, Never To Be Seen Again. I am your host, Laura. So if you listened to episode 19, I told you that I would try to get a bonus episode out for you to listen to since it would be about two weeks between regular episodes. Um, I hope that everyone who listened to the Curtis Pishon bonus episode enjoyed it, and if you haven't listened yet, you definitely should. Uh, So I wanted to get a quick bonus episode out for you, and then I thought, well, I haven't done a dough episode in a while, so I thought I would ease you into the Texas episode with a bonus episode on Texas doughs. I picked out four doughs to tell you about today. Uh, Three of the four are juveniles, so if you can't stomach the juvenile stuff, maybe come back for the regular episode. I'm going to go in opposite order and we'll work from the newest to the oldest case on this bonus episode. So our first case is 1312UFTX in the Doe Network and case number UP10722 in NamUs. This is the case of the Jane Doe known as Smurfette. On October 16th of 2012, the Houston Police Department received a call from a man who had discovered a suspicious trash bag in a wooded area off of Walter Road. The trash bag was about 20 to 25 feet from the road and near the Fallbrook Church and had a horrible smell. The caller said it smelled so bad that it could be rotting meat. So police arrive and open the double bag garbage bag and there is no way that they were prepared for what they found inside. Inside the bag were the severely decomposed remains of a female. The remains had been in the hot Texas sun for about three to six weeks. She was mostly bone when they found her. Unfortunately, animals had found her first and some of her bones had been carried away by scavengers and were found scattered in the immediate area. Luckily, the remains were located in the jurisdiction of the Harris County Institute of Forensic Sciences. The institute is one of the best in its field. In 2012, 99% of the 4,000 sets of unidentified remains sent to the institute were identified within a year. Dr. Sharon Derrick is the forensic anthropologist that examined this female's bones. She determined that the girl was likely 15 to 17 years old and likely of mixed race of Caucasian and African-American ancestry. She also said the girl was between 4 foot 7 and 5 foot 3, but most likely 5 foot 1 in height. The girl also had a very narrow nose and wavy dark brown hair with a hint of red. The girl's outfit was unique. She wore a blue-green shirt with the cartoon character of Smurfette picking a daisy. The shirt said, He smurfs me, he smurfs me not, written in bold white letters. She was also wearing size 5 tan cargo pants. She was also wearing a black bra size 34C and uh, and pink thong panties. A single bobby pin was in her hair. The shirt was so distinctive that users on web sleuths lovingly called her Smurfette. There were some strange and distinctive features about the girl, though. 
um, the most visible feature would have been a very severe overbite. A defect in the base of her skull might have also been noticed as an asymmetry, asymmetry in her face. Smurfette was born with a couple of missing ribs and she also suffered from osteopenia, which is a condition where bone density is low but not low enough to be considered osteoporosis. Growth arrest lines in her thigh bones indicated that she may have been malnourished or suffered illness as a child. She had no other distinguishing marks or tattoos that they could tell, but keep in mind she was pretty decomposed when they found her. So four months after she was found, in February of 2013, a geologist from Florida took interest in Smurfette's case and offered to do isotope testing on her remains. This testing would hopefully be able to determine where the person grew up and where they were living at the time of their death. By looking at the lead isotopes in Smurfette's rib and tooth enamel, the geolog geologist concluded that she probably grew up in Texas and was living in southern Texas such as San Antonio Austin, or somewhere along the I-35 corridor in the area. In May of 2013, a forensic artist named Lewis Gibson drew a facial reconstruction of Smurfette, but Dr. Derrick, the anthropologist, said that the reconstruction was not very accurate, so she contacted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and got them to compose a digital reconstruction. That reconstruction is the one that is most likely associated with her case, if you ever uh, see it. But this case is really known by the shirt that this female was wearing. Tons of potential matches found themselves on Dr. Derrick's desk, but none panned out. The girl's DNA was entered into the national database with no results. Her dentals were entered into NamUs, but once again, no results. So this case is still unresolved, and there are plenty of people committed to finding Smurfette's identity, but doing so would be much easier with the help of the public. So if you think you know the true identity of Smurfette, or if you may have seen someone matching her description around 2012, uh, you can contact the Harris County Institute of Forensic Sciences. So uh, this next doe, I don't have much information on, but I'm gonna tell you what I do know. This is, the, this is case number 463UFTX in the Doe Network, and I couldn't find this case on NamUs for some reason. This is the case of the 2014 Baby Hope Medina. On September 20th of 2004, around 7 p.m., a rancher discovered a newborn infant girl laying on some brush on County Road 448 near Highway 90 and 173 just north of Hondo, Texas. This is in Medina County, Texas. There were no signs of trauma to the child, according to the autopsy. Baby Hope Medina was born alive, but it could not be determined if the baby was alive when she was placed on the side of the road. They were able to determine, however, that the baby had been abandoned within six hours of being found by the rancher. 
She was born within 24 hours of being located, and she, in fact, still had about four inches of umbilical cord still attached to her. They determined that she was either Caucasian or Hispanic in race and was completely nude with no covering on or nearby her. They couldn't determine her cause of death, but felt that it was likely that she died from exposure. So Baby Hope Medina was buried in Hondo Cemetery with over 200 people in attendance at her funeral service. She has a beautiful headstone with Baby Hope Medina um, on it. You can find photos of her grave and headstone online. And that's all I have to tell you about poor Baby Hope Medina. Um, she didn't even get a chance at life, really. And based on the lack of information online about her, it doesn't seem like investigators have very much to go off of. Medina County Sheriff's Office is listed as the investigating agency, so you may, uh, if you may know anything about this poor baby or who her parents may be, please contact them. So case number three is also a sweet little baby. Uh, this is case number 604-UNTX in the Doe Network and case number UP3684 in NamUs. This is the 1996 Hector County baby John Doe. So on the morning of uh, Thursday, July 18th, 1996, shortly before 8 a.m., a man in Odessa, Texas is looking for aluminum cans. When he works his way to the trash bin in the alley behind the 1300 block of Clifford Street, he opens the bin and forgets all about the cans he was looking for. What he does find is a baby. But something obviously isn't right with the infant. He contacts law enforcement and they soon arrive. They confirm that the baby was sadly deceased. Criminal technicians were called in and spent most of that morning examining and photographing the receptacle. Several items found in or around the bin were collected and sent to the DPS crime lab. Detectives spent much of that day canvassing the neighborhood for clues. Detectives end up speaking to Alicia Sains, who reported hearing dogs barking around 5 a.m. that morning. Socorro Biscano <laughs> lived on Boatwright Street directly behind the trash bin. Socorro reportedly reported hearing the dogs barking at 5 a.m. as well, but she heard something before then. Socorro was awakened just before 4 a.m. by the sound of a baby crying. She said she ran over to a bedroom because she thought her grandson was crying, but it wasn't him. He was fast asleep. It really didn't occur to her after, until after the police left her house that perhaps the crying she heard was actually from the baby that was found in the trash bin. The baby boy was found wrapped in a beige bath towel and placed inside a black plastic trash bag. His umbilical cord was still attached. The medical examiner determined that the baby died within 24 hours. The cause of death is reported as homicide as a result of head injuries. The baby was born full term and weighed between six and eight pounds. He was 19 inches long. He is Caucasian or Hispanic 
with, a, with brown hair and brown eyes. Police believe that the mother, uh, police believe that the mother may have uh, attempted to seek medical attention, but um, they use that as a lead, which produced uh, no clues as to who the mother may be. And that's really it. I have nothing else. I couldn't find any information online about this poor baby's case, and if anyone has information about the baby's death or his parents' identity, you can contact Ector County Medical Examiner's Office or the Texas Department of Public Safety. I believe you can also submit an anonymous tip online or through the Crime Stoppers phone number. Okay, so the last case uh, for this episode is the only adult case in this episode. This is case number 77UMTX in the Doe Network and case number UP4241 in NamUs. This is the 1986 Live Oak Doe. On July 10th of 1986, emergency medical services were contacted for an African-American subject who was located unconscious on the sidewalk in the 2500 block of Wentworth Avenue near Live Oak Street on the south side of Houston. The subject was in cardiac arrest and uh, was transported to the hospital. Unfortunately though, shortly after arriving at the hospital, the person is declared deceased. When the investigation begins, it is very quickly theorized that the subject was strangled with pantyhose. The person was wearing pink pants, a gray t-shirt, a black leather belt with studded spikes. And there was also a leather bracelet, a yellow metal necklace, a white metal necklace, a silver ring, a gold ring with a clear stone. Um, and this person also had four piercings in each ear and was wearing four earrings in each ear at the time. They also had a tattoo of a heart with a scroll on the inside of their left forearm. There was also remnants of gold polish on their fingernails. Based on the subject's appearance, it may have been assumed that they were in fact a female, but actually the subject was born a male. They found two socks that were rolled up underneath his shirt to look uh, and made to look like breasts. This led investigators to think that this male was actually living as a female. He had needle marks on both arms, which some may assume was a result of drug use. It is also possible, however, that the needle marks were the result of hormone treatment. The Live Oaks Doe uh, is, as I mentioned, is an African-American transgender woman, 20 to 40 uh, years old. He was five foot seven to five foot nine and between 155 and 165 pounds in weight. He had black, short, kiki hair and brown eyes. Um, here's the silver lining in this case though. Recent developments, uh, there's a recent development in this particular case. So as of January of 2020, the DNA Doe Project announced that they would begin genetic genealogy research on live oak doe if DNA extraction and processing yields a usable profile. The live oak doe's DNA is currently undergoing testing 
but there are no results or information being released as of yet. So keep an ear out um, though because you may soon hear the Life Oak Doe's real name. Um, we don't know how long this may take though, so if you know anything about who may have killed this person or who this person may be, you can contact the Harris County Institute of Forensic Sciences, Houston Police Department, or the Texas Department of Public Safety. And that is it for this bonus episode. Um, I think this was a good warm-up for the Texas episode, which is going to be out um, in a few days. So tune in for that. And in that episode, I'll tell you more about those that were never to be seen again.